Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of the Weird Tales Podcast. My name is Tycho Alhambra. Thank you for listening. This intro is going to be short because I've been having a rough week with the weather changing every three seconds and various other pressures and stresses. So thank you so much for listening. I hope you're enjoying Poetry Month. Pride Month is coming up in June and I'm really happy with how that's turning out. I'm looking forward to getting it all put together. I hope you've had a good weekend. Please go and get vaccinated as soon as you can. If you want things to get back to normal, getting to the 80% vaccinated mark is the only way to do it. And even if you are, continue wearing a mask and social distancing. COVID may not affect you, but you can still pass it on to others who are susceptible. Also, once again, because Frank Long just couldn't keep his racist mouth shut, there's racism in this segment of the story. And it's like completely unnecessary racism. The kid didn't need to be a black kid, but she is, and here we are. If this is your first episode, though why you're starting at the end of a seven-part story is beyond me, the stance of the Weird Tales podcast has always been that racism is wrong regardless of when it was written. To turn a blind eye to it or to edit it out is to do a grave disservice to those who have suffered under it and those who have fought against it. It's there. I say the words, it's wrong. Then and now. Okay, on with the story. Chapter 7. A Cure for Skepticism When Algernon had completed his phone call, he lit a cigarette very calmly and deliberately and crossed to where Dr. Imbert was standing. Only the trembling of his lower lip betrayed the agitation he was having difficulty in controlling. There have been five emergency calls, he said, all from the Midtown section between 35th and 48th Streets. Imbert grew pale. And... and deaths? Algernon nodded, and deaths. Two of the ambulances have just returned. How many were killed? They don't know yet. There were five bodies in the first ambulance. Three men, a woman, and a little girl. A negress. All horribly mutilated. They've gone wild over there. The chap who spoke to me wanted to know what I knew, why I had phoned. He shouted at me, broke down, and sobbed. God. There's nothing we can do till Little gets back, Algernon said. And then... What do you suppose we do then? The machine, Algernon began and stopped. He couldn't endure putting the way he felt about Little's machine and the doubts he had entertained concerning it into words. It was necessary to believe in the machine, to have confidence in Little's sagacity, supreme confidence. It would have been disastrous to doubt in such a moment that a blow would eventually be struck, that Little and his machine together would dispose forever of the ghastly menace of Shanyar Fawn, but to defend such a faith rationally, to speak boldly and with confidence of a mere intuitive conviction, was another matter. You know perfectly well that Little's mentally unbalanced, affirmed Imbert, that it would be madness to credit his assertions. He gestured towards the machine. That thing is merely a mechanical hypnotizer. Ingenious, I concede. It can induce twilight sleep with a rapidity I wouldn't have thought possible but it is quite definitely three-dimensional. It brings the subconscious to the fore, the subconscious that believes everything it is told, induces temporary somnolence while little whispers, you are gazing on a fourth-dimensional figure, you are gazing on a fourth-dimensional figure. Such deceptions aren't difficult to implant when the mind is in a dreamlike state. I'd rather not discuss it, murmured Algernon. I can't believe the figure we saw was wholly a deception. It was too ghastly and unbelievable and remember that we both saw the same figure i was watching you at the time you looked positively ill and mass hypnotism is virtually an impossibility you ought to know that no two men will respond to suggestion in the same way 
We both saw a four-dimensional figure, an outrageous figure. But how do you know we both saw the same figure? We may easily have responded differently to a little suggestion. Group hypnotism is possible in that sense. I saw something decidedly disturbing, and so did you. But that doesn't prove that we weren't hypnotized. I'll convince you that we weren't, exclaimed Algernon. A time-space machine of this nature isn't theoretically inconceivable, for physicists have speculated on the possibility of reversing entropy in isolated portions of matter for years. Watch now. Deliberately, he walked to the machine and shot the lever upward. Chapter 8. What Happened in the Laboratory Algernon raised himself on his elbow and stared in horror at the gaping hole in the wall before him. It was a great circular hole with jagged edges, and through it the skyline of Lower Manhattan glimmered nebulously, like an etching under glass. His temples throbbed painfully. His tongue was dry and swollen and adhered to the roof of his mouth. Someone was standing above him. Not Imbert, for Imbert wore spectacles, and this man's face was destitute of glitter, a blurred oval faultlessly white. Confusedly, Algernon recalled that Little did not wear spectacles. This, then, was Little. Little, not Imbert. It was coming back now. He had sought to convince Imbert that the machine wasn't a mechanical hypnotizer. He had turned it on, and then... Good God, what had happened then? Something neither of them had anticipated. An explosion. But first, for an instant, they had seen the figure and the light, and he and Imbert had been too frightened, too frightened to turn it off. How very clear it was all becoming. They had stood for an instant facing the wall, too utterly bewildered to turn off the light. And then Little had entered the room and had shouted a warning, a frenzied warning. "'Help me, please!' exclaimed Algernon weakly. Little bent and gripped him by the shoulders. "'Steady now!' he commanded as he guided him toward a chair. "'You're not hurt!' You'll be all right in a moment. Imbert, too, is all right. A piece of plaster struck him in the temple, gave him a nasty cut, but he'll be quite all right. But what happened? Algernon gestured helplessly toward the hole in the wall. I remember that there was an explosion and that... You shouted at me, didn't you? Yes, I shouted for you to get back into the room. You were standing too close to the wall. Another instant and the floor would have crumbled too, and you'd have had a very nasty tumble, a tumble from which you wouldn't have recovered. He smiled grimly and patted Algernon on the shoulder. Just try to calm down a bit. I'll get you a whiskey and soda. But what precisely happened, persisted Algernon. The light decreased the wall's randomness, sent it back through time. I warned you that the wall would crumble if the light rested on it for more than an instant, but you had to experiment. "'I'm sorry,' muttered Algernon shamefacedly. "'I fear I've ruined your apartment. "'Not important, really. "'It's eerie, of course, having all one's secrets open to the sky, "'but my landlord will rectify that.' "'He gazed at Algernon curiously. "'Why did you do it?' he asked. "'To convince Imbert. "'He said the machine was merely a mechanical hypnotizer. "'I see. "'Imbert thought I was rather pathetically touched.' Not exactly. I think he wanted to believe you, but couldn't. Well, I can't blame him. Five years ago, I would have doubted too. Laughed all this to scorn. I approve of skeptics. They're dependable. 
when you succeeded in convincing them that unthinkable and outrageous things occasionally have at least a pragmatic potency. I doubt if even now Imbert would concede that this is an entropy-reversing machine, but you may be sure his respect for it has grown. He'll follow my instructions now without hesitation. And I want you to. We must act in unison, or we'll be defeated before we start. Algernon began suddenly to tremble. We haven't an instant to lose, he exclaimed. I got in touch with the police just before you came back. They're sending out ambulance calls from all over the city. Shanyar has begun to slay. Algernon has risen and was striding toward the door. Wait! Little's voice held a note of command. We've got to wait for Imbert. He's downstairs in the bathroom dressing his wound. Reluctantly, Algernon returned into the room. A few minutes' delay won't matter, continued Little, his voice surprisingly calm. We've such a hideous ordeal before us that we should be grateful for this respite. But Shanyar is killing now, protested Algernon, and we're sitting here letting more lives be snuffed out, perhaps. But at the same instant, all over the world, other lives are being snuffed out by diseases which men could prevent if they energetically bestirred themselves. He drew a deep breath. We're doing the best we can, man. This respite is necessary for our nerves' sake. Try to view the situation sanely. If we're going to eradicate the malignancy which is Sean your fawn, we'll need a surgeon's calm. We've got to steal our wills, extrude from our minds all hysterical considerations and all sentiment. But it will kill thousands, protested Algernon. In the crowded streets? No, Little shook his head. It's no longer in the streets. It has left the city. How do you know? There has been a massacre on the Jersey coast, near Asbury Park. I stopped for an instant in the Brooklyn Standard office on my way up from the garage. The night staff's in turmoil. They're rushing through a sensational morning extra. I found out something else. There's been a similar massacre in Spain. If we hadn't been talking here, we'd have known. All the papers ran columns about it hours ago. They're correlating the dispatches now, and by tomorrow, everyone will know of the menace. What I fear is mass hysteria. Mass hysteria? Yes, they'll go mad in the city tomorrow. There'll be a stampede. Unreasoning superstition and blind terror always culminate in acts of violence. Hundreds of people will run amuck, pillage, destroy. There'll be more lives lost than Shanyar destroyed tonight. But we can do something. We must. I've said that we were merely waiting for Dr. Imbert. Little crossed to the eastern window and then stared for a moment into the lightning sky. Then he returned to where Algernon was standing. "'Do you feel better?' he asked. "'Have you pulled yourself together?' "'Yes,' muttered Algernon. "'I'm quite all right.' "'Good.' The door opened and Imbert came in. His face was distraught and of a deathly pallor, but a look of relief came into his eyes when they rested on Algernon. "'I feared you were seriously hurt,' he cried. "'We were quite mad to experiment with, with that thing.' We must experiment again, I fear. Imbert nodded. I am ready to join you. What do you want us to do? I want you and Harris to carry that machine downstairs and put it into my car. I'll need a flashlight and a few other things. I won't be long. And that was chapters 7 and 8 of The Horror from the Hills by Frank Belknap Long. Thank you for listening. Thank you so much for your support. Please feel free to support me on Patreon, patreon.com slash Podcast. Thank you, Ryan Patrick. Ineptus Astartus, thank you so much. Matthias Hansen, thank you. Alder Riley, thank you. 
and brand new $3 tier patron, Samantha Hickey. Thank you so much for your support. Thank you all for listening. Please stay masked, stay safe, get vaccinated, punch a racist in the face. I'll see you next week. Da-da-da-da-da-da. Here's the bloops. You know what would help with the uh, recording of this episode? Is if I had the the story that I was going to read up on the screen so I could actually read it. Because I I don't have that up. (sighs) They don't know yet. There were five bodies in the first ambulance. Three men, a woman, and a little girl. A negress. Wow! Come on, Frank! God damn it!